like you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapters 4 and 5. You know, as I pray over the kinds of things that God desires me to, uh, to bring before you as messages, and as you know, it's my habit to uh, typically expound a book as a rule, and I never know when I start into that book uh, what uh, the times and the experiences you may be going through as a congregation or what kinds of experiences may be going on in the world around us in current events. But I'm always amazed and encouraged and blessed by the Lord to find how many times a particular message lands at precisely the right moment. And um, one of the things I take great comfort in in expounding the Scriptures in that fashion is that I can't be accused of picking my text to hammer on the moment because it's the one that comes up next. And this morning's text, as we get an overview of the throne of God, which is where John is about to take us, Uh, reminds us of some very precious truths that we need to hear and know uh, in our time. I'm certain that all of you, in one way or another, have been affected by the events of this past week. We have had a, a very tumultuous week, violent week, in America. And yet, it is simply the, the, the growing unrest that is building in this nation. And uh, we look back in time and we see that it has been evolving for a while. I read a piece by Ravi Zacharias that um, Herb forwarded to me as he looked back to the days in the 70s of Francis Schaeffer and C. Everett Koop as they asked the question, whatever happened to the human race, and as they predicted what the future would hold unless we changed our course, we find now some 40 years later that we are in fact living out that future they envisioned, not the good side of it, but the negative side of it. And we're living in a time when the, the moral fiber of the country has broken down to the point that, that immorality uh, and ungodliness and lack of justice is rampant throughout the land. And as Ravi did an analysis retrospectively on their comments, he pointed out the fact that, first of all, there was a death of morality, which is what Schaefer predicted, followed by a denial of truth as relativism became the rule of the day. That whatever your truth is, is your truth, and whatever my truth is, is my truth, and it's all true truth. We can can all have our own truth. That's about the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. There's only one truth, and it's what is true. And there's no other way to look at it. And yet we have denied truth and made relativism uh, the rule of choices so that you can pick whatever you want to pick. And the third thing that he said was with the moral fabric crumbling and the denial of truth, the eventual 
uh, result would be uh, the loss or, or denial of rationalism so that there was no longer any reason. We cannot lead people today to think linearly in a fashion of A plus B plus C plus D goes in this direction, but denying the very foundational premises, they go whatever direction they want to go, and it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not, as long as it satisfies their own desires. And so we live in a time when we are reaping a harvest of what began to be sown back in those days as we have we're now seeing people shot down in the streets, but we've been murdering them in abortion clinics for decades. Why would a nation expect to dwell in peace and safety when it murders its unborn? Why would we think that we would have any civil conscience when we place more value upon whales than people? We're simply reaping the disasters that we've sown. And the things that have begun to unfold this year since the um, political climate of America is gearing up for another presidential election is really quite astounding. I have never seen in such a short span of time so many dramatic things occur. The LGBT minority is pressing its agenda upon the nation in such a way that our president has endorsed the abolition of any kind of sanity, even in restrooms and in our most personal of behaviors. We now are being forced to, to share those events with anyone who wants to walk into a restroom, man or woman. Children are now exposed to predators, and there's no way to escape it. School systems and states are beginning to sue the government to have the right to bring education back to the local level where the, the boards make the decisions, and they're facing an uphill battle as our own school board, District 156, in this, in this community recently faced this issue. And what emerged out of that was that in fear of law and loss of funding, we could not make a rule prohibiting the intermingling of gender within the restroom scene. We had to leave it open as the president and the Department of Education has espoused. We're living in a time of racial unrest such as I haven't seen since my early days in the South during the Civil Rights Movement. I remember when George Wallace was shot. I remember when Martin Luther King was killed. I remember those days in the South and the first integration of the school system. I was there when the first bus of black children arrived at our school and unloaded. And the, the kind of feeling that was generated throughout the school. And I'll never forget a dinner table conversation with my parents about how I thought it was time that they had the opportunity to receive an equal and 
competent education, and uh, my father ordered me away from the table. That was the first time I realized that he harbored that kind of segregation mentality because he worked with African Americans in the railroad and they conversed and exchanged uh, pleasantries and the only thing I had ever observed was a, a congenial kind of respect for one another. But when I suggested that integration was a positive thing, oh my goodness, I ran headlong into the south in the form of the gentleman sitting at the other end of my dinner table. It was quite an experience. Somehow or another, we worked through a lot of those issues, but now today, we're living in a time where racial unrest is just waiting like a volcano beneath the surface to explode. And I have to say that my observation is that our president has been subtly fueling that fire. Rudy Giuliani was recently castigated in the news for his horrible comments that he made after the shootings in Dallas. I saw enough headlines about how terrible he was that I decided I had to listen to his comments myself. And so I looked them up and listened to the videotape of his speech or of his interview. And I have to say... I couldn't find a single thing wrong with it. The man was dead on the money. He was right on target. And one of the things that he said that was, I thought, so significant, he said, yes, black lives matter, but so do Asian lives, and so do Hispanic lives, and so do white Anglo lives. People matter. We don't need to be making this kind of segregation in our minds, even. People are valuable. Every human being deserves respect and, and cherishing before Almighty God because they have an eternal soul. And they're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And our Heavenly Father longs for everyone to come home to Him. And yet we live in a time when racial unrest is being fueled. And then I don't know about you, but as I look at the shaping presidential campaign coming up in November, or actually it's well underway, we are faced with unprecedented choices. We, we can choose a thief and a liar who is irresponsible, or we can choose a narcissist who is chauvinistic and feels that he can do anything he wants to do. And I look at the options that are before us and I say, where is the hope for America? As it stands today, this Sunday, after the violence of this past week, I can't see either one of the candidates being able to bring any kind of reconciliation or peace. One is going to fuel the fire in one direction and another will fuel it in the other, but I don't see either one being able to bring peace to this country. These are the times in which we live. 
And it's not only in the United States, but you don't have to talk about ISIS, but 30 seconds. And, and you know that the problems that are prevalent around the world as a result of ISIS are affecting nations all over the world as almost every day a bomb is going off somewhere. And so we live in these terrible times. And the book of Revelation, quite honestly, more or less tells us this is what is coming. Jesus, in his message to the disciples when they said, tell us, what will be the sign of your coming and the signs of the ends of time in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Jesus said people will rise up, nation against nation, people against people. They will say peace, peace when there is no peace. They will be searching and seeking and yet things will go from bad to worse. God has not left us wondering and bewildered. But He has graciously given us insight into the future that we might not be among those who tremble in fear. Friends, when I look out at people in the world that have no hope in Jesus Christ, I don't know how they face each day. I don't know how they go to work in the cities and towns of our nation wondering if they're going to come home in the evening. Wondering what's going to become of our political system. Wondering what's going to become of their Bill of Rights. Wondering about all of these uh, kinds of things hanging over our head. But our God has assured us that we have a hope and a future that we can stand firmly upon a rock who is Jesus Christ, and that we can uh, remain stable and sure and have poise and calm if we will turn our hearts toward Him and see the truth as it is. Recall with me in the book of Hebrews, after that 11th chapter, The writer of Hebrews talks about all of those who, uh, in many cases, gave their lives for the faith, but they carried the banner of faith and their hope in God toward the future. And he said, all of these died without having seen His, His deliverance, His glory, His coming. But they were looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. In other words, they were not seeking an earthly kingdom. They weren't looking for heavenly, uh, earthly security or earthly wealth or some kind of stability on this planet. They were seeking for a heavenly kingdom that is certain and sure and will outlast this present age. The Scripture says this earth one day and the judgment of God will melt with fervent heat. And all the elements will disintegrate. And there will be nothing of the material structure left in that moment of time. And yet people will be there. 
Because we are not our bodies. We are our whole person clothed in a body. And in that time of judgment, those without Christ will look for somewhere to hide and there won't be anywhere to hide. But those of us who have placed our hope and confidence in Jesus Christ will remain firmly fixed upon a foundation that cannot be shaken. And we will be secure eternally. And John, in his reporting of the Revelation, brings us to chapters 4 and 5 in an interlude as he is invited to come into the heavenlies and he reports for us his vision of the heavenly throne and tells us what he beheld as he came up here to see the glory of God upon his throne. I'd like to read that passage for you and you can follow along. I'm reading from the New International Version beginning in Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the sevenfold Spirit of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the sevenfold spirit of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests and to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them say, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. As I have read and studied this vision and this passage, many commentators who respect the Word of God look at this and they envision this as a timeless scene. It is a picture of the past and of the present and of the future all wrapped together as John beholds the glory of God upon the throne and and the history of the church all the way back to very probably the twelve tribes of Israel from Abraham forward and even beyond to Noah and to Adam and, and all the way forward to the church founded upon the twelve apostles. And as John looks upon this scene and begins to see it, he has a vision of two who are in the midst. One is God the Father, we may say, and the other is the Lamb of God who was slain. 
Together they stand in the midst of the four creatures and surrounded by the twenty-four elders. And then surrounding them are the heavenly host and then ultimately all the people of all the nations that have been redeemed from every tribe and tongue and nation are envisioned around them. And as we are introduced to, to the, the Father and to the Lamb in this image, we come to realize that the two are equally worshipped and equally praised and equally glorified. In fact, we find in Revelation chapter 22 that this throne belongs to the Father and to the Son, to the Lamb that was slain. Another thing that is interesting that is pointed out is that Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And as John is told to, to uh, behold this one, he looks and he sees a lamb. Not a lion, but a lamb. In fact, as Ben Witherington pointed out in his commentary, the only lion uh, that is ever seen in heaven is not a lion at all, but a lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth and who is worthy because he has purchased with his own blood people from every tribe and tongue and nation. His blood that was effective to the covering of sin, not only for us who live in the future of the cross, but to those who live before the cross. To everyone who put their faith and hope in God and look to Him in trust, that great cloud of witnesses, that great company of people who looked for a city that has foundation from Abram, the father of the faithful, and even before to Noah who found righteousness in the eyes of the Lord and going all the way back, they looked to the cross. It was not the blood of bulls and goats that could take away their sin. It was the Lamb of God who could take away their sin. And so in Him is the atoning blood for all time for all people who put their faith and hope in Him. And so we learn that Jesus, the Lamb of God and the Father, sit upon the throne and before them, him, before them are, is the sevenfold, excuse my uh, verbs here and nouns, that it's hard to talk about all these plurals and singulars and keep them all straight. But the sevenfold Spirit of God, that is the best way to translate that. You find that um, in the translation, and if you were watching closely, I uh, fixed it as I went by, that it says the seven spirits of God, but the best understanding of that in the original language is the sevenfold spirit of God. That the Holy Spirit ministers to us and mediates to us in ways that I'm going to get into as we begin to take these verses apart uh, bit by bit. But here is the, the triune holy God in the midst of these four creatures that are around and we'll reserve talking about them as well. But I want to spend just a moment on the 24 elders. Because they are not angels. And they are not creatures. And they have an interesting number that seems to represent the tribes of Israel. The, 
the church anticipated in the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament in the book of Acts laying the foundation of the church, these 24 elders appear to represent the elders of the church of all time. And they are standing next to the throne. They are right there beside the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as they cast their crowns before Him, they recognize that He alone has made it possible for them to occupy that place. You remember the disciples, you remember James and John's mother coming to Jesus at one time and says, uh, Master, I'd like to ask a favor of you. And he says, oh, what is it? He says, well, I would like uh, for you to let my sons sit, one on the right and one on the left. <laughs> Those disciples, man, if they weren't bold, they were nothing else. They, they were something. Even Peter, who was timid in some ways, was uh, quite quick to speak in others. But at any rate, Jesus made this statement. It is not mine to give who will sit on my right hand and my left. But here's the interesting thing. As Herb reminded us two weeks ago, three weeks ago, in the message, sit, of sit, walk, and stand, we have been raised with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly realms, far above all principality and power and dominion and every name that is named in heaven and on earth. And we have been raised into that place in Christ where we are seated with the Lamb upon the throne. Should I say that again? Did you get it? Do you see what's being said here? These apostles very likely are, and I'm couching my terms carefully because there's some disagreement as to who they are, but if they're not what I've said, no one has any idea what they are. But these apostles represent for us our forefathers in the faith, our elders in the faith, the foundation of the church of which we are a part, and they are there in the heavenly throne room right next to the Lamb and the Father and the Spirit. And this, by the way, is the only time we find the Spirit of God in the throne room because all the rest of His ministry is upon the earth. But we are carried into this heavenly realm and we are made to see what it is like to be seated with God on the throne. And I want you to understand this morning that we are raised with Him and seated in that place. We're being called to envision something that is just beyond our true comprehension. 
we really can't grasp the full significance of this. There is some discussion when John was invited through the open door. Was it to go up into heaven? The word up is used, but was it to go up into heaven? Or was it to go through an open door that opened his eyes to the unseen reality of the heavenly realm and called him into that place where the authority resides for all of the universe. Because you see, you and I this morning have a hard time if we think, and you've heard me talk about this before because it sounds like I'm speaking southern, when I say we tend to think of this spatially, but I'm not talking about spatial like in the south. <clears throat> no offense. <laughs> I'm talking about whether something is a physical space occupying object or whether it is a permeation, a, a reality that is not contained by physical boundaries, but takes us into a place of glory and majesty that is right here with us. Because you see, when I look at you, you're sitting here. You're not up in heaven, you're here. And contrary to what some teachers have said, you can't be both places at once, physically. You can't be there and here. You're here. But if we could have, for a moment, our eyes open and the curtains pulled back, we could see that we are living here in the heavenlies. Because the heavenlies is the atmosphere that surrounds us. And in the heavenly realm are angels and principalities and demons and authorities of wickedness and and authorities of goodness. And we live in the midst of them. If you could have your eyes open, let me get a little sci-fi with you for a moment. There's things sitting in the chairs beside you that are vacant, and maybe some that aren't vacant. (laughs) There are heavenly beings all around us. And for us to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies is not a spatial relationship, as in we are located in another physical place, but it is an authority relationship that we share with Jesus Christ. We have been raised and seated with Him in that position of all authority. We are secure in Him. He delegates to us the capacity to pray, and whatever you ask in My name will be accomplished. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. We are invited to dwell in this heavenly realm with Jesus. 
That is why the Scripture says, greater is he that is in you than in he that is in the world. Because the Satan is the God of this earth. He's outside of me. He's out there. He's wreaking havoc and mayhem and inspiring violence and stirring up civil unrest and causing jealousies and creating all kinds of problems and coming against me with thoughts and ideas that that uh, beat me down and try to uh, get me to get my eyes off of Jesus. But if I am aware of the fact that greater is He that is in me, that I am dwelling in Him in heavenly realms, those demonic powers, those satanic forces are under my feet in terms of authority. They cannot hurt me. They cannot destroy me. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot cast the soul into hell. Rather, fear that one who has the final authority over life and death. And if we have our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, we are redeemed and assured and guaranteed of eternal life in Him. We cannot be hurt. In that sense, friends, we're all going to die one day. Every one of us, unless we're alive when Jesus comes, we're not going to live forever. We know this. But no one can rob us of our eternal life. We are held in His hand. We are secure in Him. We are seated with Him in heavenly realms. And at the moment we take our last breath, whether because somebody puts a bullet through our heart or we die in our sleep at the age of 105, it doesn't matter. When we take that last breath of air, we will open it in His presence. Our eyes, our next breath, as the song says, will be celestial air. And we will be at home with Him, secure, because nothing can touch us. Nothing can upset our eternal life. We are safe in Him. If we could only see this image and vision of the throne and see ourselves seated with Christ in that place, May I say this with a certain reservation. It does not matter who is elected president. It doesn't matter. God is the one who raises up and takes down rulers. And he has an eternal plan in mind in the unfolding of human history. And for good or for bad, his will will be accomplished. And it may be to let the devil have his way for a while. I don't know that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what ISIS does. It doesn't matter what happens around the world. Because I am safe in Jesus Christ. I can walk with poise and with grace and with security. Not long ago, it's been within the past year, 
a number of missionaries, including several Wycliffe missionaries, were were martyred by a jihadist group. And it was discovered after the scene was examined that some of those laid down on top of others to save their lives because they had confidence in their destiny. They knew where they were going. And I'm not saying that Christians are the only brave uh, ones who put their lives in the way of others. I, I watched some of the videotape of Dallas while everybody's running away. The police are running toward the shots to find it and stop it. That takes courage. But how much more conviction when you know that it does not matter how it comes out. I am safe in Jesus Christ. I can do everything he calls me to do, including the moment he calls me to be done. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I am seated with him in this glorious throne. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? What a marvelous, marvelous truth for us to grasp. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. I pray that you would encourage us. We live in troublesome times. But we have a great Savior and a great God. And we can be confident that we are secure for all eternity and our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.